Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Welcome back to the historic summer of 2023 Hidden History Happy Hour. I am still sitting in my rental in Fallbrook, uh, California. And uh, because we're going to tell a story that is just about booze, I'm sticking with uh, some rosé that I enjoyed in one of our earlier episodes. Cheers, Alex. Cheers. I'm having some white wine. Here we go. Uh, The patron saint of booze is my story. William Connor McGee was, you'll have guessed it, an Irish clergyman. And truly he loved his flock. For when uh, Benjamin Disraeli made him the Bishop of Peterborough, fine town to the north of where I grew up, and he took up his place in the House of Lords, he said in the debate on the intoxicating liquor bill in 1872, it would be better that England should be free than that England should be compulsorily sober. Amen, my lord. Amen, the patron saint of the Hidden History Happy Hour. If only somebody would have said that in 1918 or whenever Prohibition came in. Well, quite. And it is possible that the Lord's Temporal had not expected this spiritual intervention, but receive it they did, and it was heeded. Um, I will point out that the temperance movement um, in my country was, uh, notwithstanding the fact it had the wrong aims, not without its good moments, because Charles Gordon Maynard, who was the inventor of wine gums, I don't know if they've made it to America. Wine gums are a a particularly preferred sweet or candy in, in the UK. He was the son of a teetotal Methodist. And supposedly he created this sweets, which is very popular to this day in the UK, um, to aid those who are wishing to avoid alcohol. So good outcome because we haven't avoided alcohol, but we've got the sweets uh, as well. Um, also, Wait, do they actually have alcohol in them? No, they no. And contrary oh. to, to urban myth, they never have. Right. Oh, so okay. they have their like their little gums, and they have things printed on them like port and sherry, oh, and see. you know, kids are like mm, nom, nom, nom. no, but there's no, there's never any booze in them. I want to give you as well uh, McGee's other famous quote, which I think is um, uh, helpful for us in life too, and is a good lesson as we make our way through the travails uh, of this existence. The man who makes no mistakes does not usually make anything. I think that's I think Fair. that's useful as as well. Anyway, so he occupied the sea at Peterborough for over 20 years and very briefly he rose yet higher becoming archbishop of york which is our number two in the ecclesiastical hierarchy behind canterbury but he died uh, the year he was appointed and he was laid uh, to rest in his beloved peterborough where you can pray your respects uh, to his monument in the cathedral and lift a glass to him in the pub afterwards uh, or, or indeed whenever or wherever you like and one of the points of this uh, story brian is this There are plenty of saints and venerable figures to pray to for recovery from alcoholism. Uh, St. Matthew or Matthias the Apostle, uh, to Matt Talbot, and so on. Uh, St. Amandus uh, is considered the patron saint of those who serve booze, so vintners and and, uh, waiters and kelmers and so forth. St. Augustine famously liked to tipple, and St. Patrick was St. Patrick. Uh, Dom Perignon of the, the Benedictine Order gave us champagne. 
And monks across Christendom have toiled to produce great beer. In indeed, Arnold of Metz, the patron saint of brewers, uh, whose shrine supposedly miraculously produced beer for pilgrims. Now, there is a pilgrimage <laughs> worth yeah. doing. Uh, Arnold of Metz uh, once famously said, from man's sweat and God's love, beer came into the world, which is how I like to think of, of my pint. But the patron saint of it being perfectly okay to enjoy a drink responsibly has yet to be confirmed by the church. And hereby, on the Hidden History Happy Hour, I submit my nomination for William Connor McGee. I will second it, even though I believe the American Episcopal Church is still suspended from the Anglican Communion, but still. Uh, maybe oh, our because of gay be bishops. Heard. Yeah. Well, we should mm -hmm. fix that. But anyway, I think we may not. So, you know to, what? We, we're going to do a lot of this podcast. We may not bring that one off. So. You know, the first thing you learn in law school, at least in TV law school, is don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. I'm surprised I don't know the answer to this, and maybe you, uh, enthusiastic armchair historian, do. During our prohibition yeah. and during the height of the temperance movement in the UK, if you went to an Anglican or Episcopal service, did they not serve wine? Or was they that never, like a loophole? never stopped serving communion wine in That's the UK. what I thought. That's what I thought. And I bet the same was true in the United States. I doubt... Elliot Ness is going to raid uh, St. John's. Now, there are various other sects. There are various other branches and groups of Christianity which have substituted something for uh, the wine. Grape juice, um, yeah. In lots of, but the, the Church of England continued to serve wine throughout. Well, I'm going to check on that because I bet we had some loopholes here too. But well, patron saint of booze is a good, I might get like a hat with his, his likeness on it. Yes, and it's too low. It's too long to fit on a bumper sticker, but I love the, that quote about you know, rather being free than being compulsorily sober. I think uh, there's words to live by. While I got you, I wanted to tell you a story that is not on Twitter and is not in a book yet. So and this that, is and that, yes, and that's what I was about to say is you can only find it here, ladies and gentlemen. Correct. On the it's only going to be on the podcast. There may well be a volume three of my books. Let's see, depending on what Biteback uh, Publishing think. But here is a story that I have written, but is not on Twitter. So this is just for right. our listeners, an exclusive. And it's a short one, too. Yes. Uh, I think it's a homily for despairing parents. Uh, we may know one or two of those. Um, as their well-educated offspring flail around in an increasingly challenging job market, perhaps not leaving the house where mum and dad might like them to, and so forth. There was once a bright young man, apple of the parental eye, full of shining promise, who once thoroughly flopped at Oxford, which is a dump anyway, so who can hold that against him, uh, losing his scholarship, getting a very bad third in his preliminary examinations, and being sent uh, leaving or the university without a degree at all. Living, as one might expect as a result of that, a rather dissipated life, he continued for some time to use the parental home as a base, taking their love and support for granted, as children often do. This is a story... Well, well you're not talking about King Charles, are you? I am not, but uh, I think you'll be interested. Oh, wonder of wonders. The Daily Express, which is a newspaper in my country, which has risen and fallen in the you know, in the league table of respectability in the press over uh, the years, but was a you know, good title. The Daily Express gave him a probationary three-month job. Certainly it was on low pay, but one can imagine how his parents rejoiced. A job! A job! <laughs> but alas, 
having not used in three months a single line that he wrote at the end of that quarterly period, rather than committing to pay him a full salary, they sacked him. And we can imagine how the poor parents felt in that moment. And the reason this story is worth telling, I think, Brian, is that that young man was evil in war. And a year after uh, he'd been sacked by the Daily Express, uh, the man who had sacked him was paying him 30 guineas for a thousand words, which is a lot of money. Um, and, uh, of course, the author of Brighthead Revisited was one of the most successful authors my country produced that century. So the lesson for parents is do not despair. Also, we do not know the name of the person who fired him. No, I mean, you, you probably know, do, but... Do, I don't. because and it, it, The reason I don't is that it, I get that anecdote from the uh, memoirs of his less successful brother, Alec War, whose nephew... Uh, whose nephew remarked that he he keeps uh, writing more and more, and the more he writes, the worse it gets. Uh, his brother, Alec, was uh, was a novelist. It was quite well regarded in his day, uh, but um, a pr- largely forgotten to history. In uh, He tells interesting little tales like the one I just told you, uh, but he also doggedly insists in the course of his memoir upon telling his readers about the days from the years in question he's memorising. He's memorialising. He tells them about the days in which the date in his diary was ringed, which meant that he got his leg over. So, you know, you might, maybe this, the third or fourth time becomes repetitive. The hundredth time is just heroic in its <laughs> insistence to let you know. So as I say, Oberon War said that Alec War's novels got progressively worse, but he did have some great one-liners. And I think my favourite is, you can fall in love at first sight with a place as with a person, which I think is completely true. Yeah. Uh, albeit, I, I must say, I am prepared to believe that a dry martini slightly impairs the palate, but think what it does for the soul uh, runs that a close second. Yeah. Genius. You can so fall think... in love at first sight with a place as with a person. Isn't that good? If you go back and look at the OG and volume two and the stuff you've been working on for volume three, which I am highly confident will be published. I feel like you almost have a spinoff book here, which is tales of not so famous brothers. Oh, because of the Hemingway brothers. You got a lot so cool. of them. Yeah, I do. Oh, I do. more than that. Albert Goering. Yeah. I told the good Goering story. I told the story of Hemingway's brother who created his own country. Uh, Alec War. That's true. In fact, even within the name war, the Australian uh, Mark and Steve War have got a bit of a legacy on that too, which I might tell one day. Uh, the trouble is, as with much stuff about cricket, a few people are obsessive and a lot of people aren't very interested, but uh, there may be a story in that vein. Anyway, I like that story about uh, Evelyn War being sacked by the Daily Express. Yeah. Um, there are setbacks can await all of us, but don't let them determine your future, even if you are a rather dissolute youth still living with mum and dad. Oh yeah, I mean, I actually I, I had a sim- similar experience to Alex. Uh, the the last Alex Waugh, the last um, the last real band I played in as a drummer, meaning we'd go out regularly and get paid to right. play. Um, the more we practiced, the worse we got. And as you know, I don't mind sucking at something, 
And I don't mind working hard at something, but I don't want to work hard at something and that so, just gets worse. So, so we I, broke that band up. I I hear you. Um, I um, I once uh, I went and listened to a colleague of mine was uh, friends in college with a band that's done pretty well in the United States called the Balsa Gliders, and uh, they they played all right. These guys are all professionals now. One of them's a priest. I can't remember what the other ones do, but they're like, for argument's sake, well, an accountant, a lawyer, lawyer at a big firm and so forth. And they get together and they still go out and play. Like, they must make a hundred times more per hour in their day jobs than they make yeah. uh, when they go and play. But I, what, they love it. And I don't, I dare say they don't, uh, they, they derive an enjoyment from it that they may not get elsewhere. But I bet you they don't practice either. <laughs> I bet you they just go out and they, <laughs> well, they there, just go there's... out and there's that oh. great line. There, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I went to one of their concerts and, and it was great. <laughs> it was really, really yeah. good. Yeah. There's that great line from uh, the Dire Straits song, Sultans of Swing, uh, where they say, Harry doesn't mind if he doesn't make the scene. He's got a, He's day, got a day job. job. He's, He's doing, doing all right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, much underrated Dire Straits. Love it. Oh, oh amazing. Sometime we'll talk about the movie uh, Local Hero. Do you remember that one? I don't, do you know what? Let's put a pin in that one. I'll do a bit of research and come back to you next time. Next time. And until then, everybody. Thank you for listening to the hidden history. Happy hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hidden history, happy hour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Core, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller, and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well, history. Cheers.